German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche had nothing positive to say about Christianity, so I hesitate to credit him with any wisdom. However, he does have one noteworthy quotation that's relative to our current topic of Christianity and the environment. He said, if you have a why, you can bear almost any how. Now this, I think, is powerfully true and leads us to ask, what is the why for Christian environmental stewardship? And is it the same why as secular environmentalism? we'll find that one of these worldviews has a much stronger framework for why we should care for the environment. Hello, I'm Dale Gentry, and welcome to the Disciple Science Podcast. I'm an ecologist and a professor of biology and a Christian. I find great joy and harmony in my life exploring science, studying birds, and in following Jesus. I help start Disciple Science to produce short videos and the resources to show how integrating science and Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. I'm glad you're here to join me and occasional guests as we explore the intersection of science and Christian faith. Now let's get on with the podcast. Thanks for joining me once again. I continue to be in my basement, sheltering at home with my family, helping with homeschooling the kids and trying to get a little work done on my own. And I imagine many of you are in similar situations in that we're just out of our comfort zone and out of our normal lives. But I hope we're all adapting a little bit. There have been some bright spots in this. I've been out walking in the woods with my kids almost every single day since we've been quarantining and have uh, used that opportunity to get them interested in birds and teach them about nature and just spend quality time with them. And that I'm coming to really appreciate and will miss when life gets back to normal. So I hope you're also finding little things that you can appreciate and enjoy and sort of make lemonade of as we wait for the medical community to come up with a solution to our our current predicament. Uh, If you haven't yet, I just want to make sure you check out the website, disciplescience.com, where you can see everything that's coming out of the Disciple Science Studios, get updated on the latest videos and um, blog posts in addition to this podcast. And there's also a spot there to sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. I promise we won't spam you with daily emails. Uh, I, I'm kind of overwhelmed by emails, and I imagine many, many of you are in the same situation, but usually two or sometimes three per month where we will just want to keep you updated on, on what's going on at Disciple Science. So if you haven't made it your way over to the website, you should make, make sure you do that sometime soon. Now, in the last two weeks, we have um, gotten in the habit of talking about um, Christians, and uh, we started off addressing why we aren't always engaged with creation care, and and last week, why we don't see the earth as part of God's story, or why creation isn't part of the gospel. And I argued in both of those weeks that I think that Christians should uh, be more engaged with environmental stewardship. This should be a higher priority. It shouldn't be our first priority. This isn't what being a Christian is all about. But being a Christian is all about following Jesus, which transforms our life and inspires us to love 
God and to love people. And part of doing that is being obedient to God and loving people and making sure they're provided for. And so things like creation care and things like kindness and generosity and things like a desire to serve should just pour out of us. That's the message of the gospel, I think, is that when we are saved, we're saved from our bondage to sin into the kingdom of God. So this week we're going to talk about why people care for the environment. Uh, is, is environmentalism, as might be practiced by people of different religious or cultural backgrounds, the same thing as Christian environmental stewardship? Do they have the same why and do they have the same how? I'm often asked if there's a difference between the two. Why make the distinction? And this is a really interesting question because in many ways, Christian environmental stewardship does resemble environmentalism, especially in the how. So why do we distinguish between the two or, or should we? Now, now, the hows are very closely aligned. They both say, let's pollute less. They both say, let's prevent habitat loss. Let's prevent human-caused climate change. Let's seek sustainable practices so that humans and non-human communities can both thrive. It's, it's nearly identical. Now, there are a few genuine differences, especially in their views of humanity and sometimes around things like population growth. But there's a lot of overlap, okay? So environmentalism and Christian environmental stewardship are remarkably similar. So so what, why, um, can, can we just call it environmentalism or earthkeeping and just call it good? It's all the same thing. So how does Christian environmental stewardship differ from secular environmentalism? Well, upon examination, we are going to find that they have drastically different whys. Now, some people might not really care that much about the why, but as we started uh, this podcast today, getting the why right really matters because if the why is on a shaky foundation, then when the going gets tough, it might just fall apart altogether. Um, so wh- why should we pollute less? Why should we prevent habitat loss? Why should we prevent human-caused climate change? We'll see that if we have the right why, as Nietzsche said, you can bear almost any how. So is a better strategy to emphasize the value of nature or the moral responsibility of humans? Those are both whys, right? Should we practice environmental stewardship because nature is so valuable? Is that the why? Or is it moral responsibility of humans? Is that the why? Or is it both? Or is it neither? Well, again, we're going to find that that how you answer those questions is probably different depending on whether you are a Christian or not. So let's start with that first question, the value of nature. Does does nature have intrinsic value? Uh, If you come from a secular position, I think you have a harder time coming up with a framework to say yes. The atheist philosopher David Hume says that when we make declarative statements about the condition of something, about its goodness, like ice cream is good, it means that we feel that ice cream is good, not that its goodness is inherently built into its existence, right? So there's some truth to that. I think when I say ice cream is good, I, I believe that it's, that I think that it tastes good. But when I say that the environment is good, I believe that the goodness is built into it. And Hume is implying that 
we just feel like the environment is good, that we're expressing an opinion, not that it is an inherent goodness. And so what we say, what do we mean when we say that the nature or creation is good? What do we mean when we say that it's good to take care of creation? Now, there's a significant distinction here because Genesis reminds us six times that what God created was good. God saw that it was good. Even there, the goodness isn't explicitly assigned. It's recognized by God. It says that God saw that it was good. So the goodness is inherent. And this matters because the value systems that are representatives of our feeling are are morally subjective. Um, I can say it's good and that we can conserve populations of large predators, but someone else might say it's good to exterminate them. So if goodness that's assigned from within a system, that means if everybody individually gets to decide what is good, then it's subjective and we're not all working from the same ethical framework. We can see where that's going to cause problems. So if the values are simply assigned feelings and they carry less weight than if their moral condition is inherent or if it comes from outside the system. So we're going to start to see these differences to reveal themselves. Those committed to a naturalistic worldview that believe that goodness is not inherent, that it's just assigned by each individual, are going to come up against roadblocks. Some, some, somebody like me might say it's good to preserve species or that it's bad not to in a good versus bad circumstance. But somebody else might say that it's good to use the resources to produce wealth and that it is bad not to use those resources, right? So that goodness then becomes subjective and it's just what, what do I think is good versus what you think is good and we have to defend our goodness instead of God declaring what good is and us agreeing that we are going to follow the standards set by God. Now, I know it's not quite that simple because there are people that claim to have a Christian worldview that sometimes don't follow those standards that we see in Scripture. And sometimes those standards are just not that crystal clear. So I'm, I'm making it much over, I'm oversimplifying it to, to a, a degree. But we have to recognize that if goodness and badness are determined by every individual, then we'll never get to a place where we can all agree on what should be done. And the reason that that fails is that science cannot make those declarations of goodness and badness for us. Science can't make uh, moral or, or value statements. This has been the case ever since the Enlightenment, where science has strived hard to be a value-free endeavor. Say, we're going to pull the world apart and understand the way it works, but we're not going to say that it's good that it works this way and it's bad that it works that way. We're just going to say, this is the way it works. So if science can't tell us what's good and what's bad, and if our ethical framework is morally subject is subjective and we're just working off of everybody's uh, postmodern ability to define right and wrong for themselves, we're stuck. And it's for this reason that because science can't define right and wrong, and because some people think that science is the only true source of knowledge, that there are some people that have come to the conclusion that there is no good and bad. Here's a really famous quote from the atheist Richard Dawkins, 
uh, the evolutionary biologist who said, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties that we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Yikes, right? And what's odd is that Dawkins will eventually walk back on this because he recognizes that if we say there is no good and there is no evil, then we lose the capacity to tell people it's wrong to murder, it's wrong to lie, it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to cheat. So while he says that there is no um, inherent good and evil, he goes searching for it from a different uh, framework, from a uh, position of secular humanism, which is a different topic for a different day. Right? But from this framework, a secular worldview loses its ability to declare good and bad, which essentially makes environmentalism entirely pointless because environmentalism is based on the foundation that it is good to preserve the earth and it is bad not to. But if you can't define some objective sense of goodness and badness, then then why do anything? And um, I think honest atheists will admit that. Here is here's one of them. This is a biologist and ethicist uh, Norman Levine who said, Some nature lovers weep at this passing of non-human species who have become extinct and collect money to save species. They make lists of animals and plants that are in danger of extinction and sponsor legislation to protect them. I don't. What the species preservers are trying to do is stop the clock. It cannot and should not be done. Extinction is an inevitable fact of evolution, and it's needed for progress. New species continually arise, and they are better adapted to the environment than the ones who have died out. Extinction comes from a failure to adapt to a changing environment. Wow. So we see here, and again, I, I think this is an honest account of atheism that says it's, there's, it's pointless to try and conserve um, the, the foundations of life. And this is coming from a biologist who, I presume, cares about the, what he studies. Um, so let's, let's go to that other topic, not just the, the value of species, but the moral responsibility of humans. And we're going to see this follow the same path. If humans are simply highly evolved primates, and don't get me wrong, I lean toward an evolutionary creationist framework, so I do believe that we are highly evolved primates. But it's a false dichotomy to say that we are either a product of evolution or we are created in the image of God and called to a moral standard. These two things can simultaneously be true. So if humans are just highly involved primates, and I'm the capital just here, meaning there's no God, atheism is the right view, then we have no moral responsibility to any other species. We might preserve them if it's good for our own well-being, but not out of a sense of morality, a sense that it's right to preserve and it's wrong to drive to extinction. So it's, this is my opinion, and it's shared by others, that a secular worldview loses its ethical footing in attempting to make declarations of what is good and what is bad. It can't say it's good to conserve and it's bad to um, lose habitat or, or warm the climate because it has no sense for 
um, an objective right and wrong, objective morality, objective good and evil on which to base those standards. And it's for this reason that ethicist J. Baird Calicott, who some uh, label the father of environmental ethics, said, and I quote, the Judeo-Christian stewardship environmental ethic is especially elegant and powerful. It also exquisitely matches the requirements of conservation biology. The Judeo-Christian stewardship environmental ethic conveys objective intrinsic value on nature in the clearest and most unambiguous of ways by divine decree. So the fundamental questions of environmental ethics are answered there. Why should humans care for the environment? What is the basis for the intrinsic value of nature? What gives humans the right to exercise authority over nature? What is the moral responsibility of humans to nature? Genesis answers all those questions within the first few pages of the Bible. Nature is intrinsically valuable because of divine perception and decree. Humans exercise authority over nature because they are unique in being made in God's image and endowed with the capacity of moral judgment. Humans are given responsibility as representatives of God. The Judeo-Christian worldview is the one in which the Western environmental ethic is anchored. But here's the catch. As we mentioned, while Christians have a solid foundation for an environmental ethic, we haven't always come through and put that into action. So next week, we'll talk about why Christians don't practice what Scripture preaches. Thanks for listening. At Disciple Science, we believe that integrating science and Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. We are a crowdfunded nonprofit based in St. Paul, Minnesota, Everything we do is dependent on your generous support, and we are so encouraged by those of you that have donated thus far. You can help us make the next video by visiting our website at disciplescience.com and donating through our secure support portal you'll find there. You can also explore the rest of our resources, sign up for the newsletter, and send us feedback about what you want to hear more about in the future. I want to thank Caleb Davis for producing this episode and for composing our theme music. I'm Dale. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again next week.